Tonight on Huckabee, Sean Spicer dances through a media storm. Greg Laurie and the redemption of Johnny Cash. And country legacy, Hillary Williams performs. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Thank you very much, and welcome to our show and our theater here in Hendersonville, Tennessee, just outside of Nashville. Oh, man, we've got a bunch of fun planned for you. But let me tell you, last week, you may remember I referred to the New York Times as the New York Slimes, <laughs> all because of their embarrassing attempt to blame inanimate objects like airplanes for taking aim at the World Trade Center. Now, there were some folks who were critical of me. What a shock for calling them the slimes. Frankly, I thought I was being a little too gentle. But in a story that had to be retracted, corrected, and openly regretted, the paper this week attempted to assassinate the character of Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. I mean, the smear went something like this. Some unnamed people who didn't personally see or hear anything might have talked to some people who heard a story about Kavanaugh when he was in college. But no one actually remembers the story. And the one person named as a victim expressly said it did not happen. But be that as it may, the newspaper ran with the so-called story and based it on these unnamed sources and perhaps talked to other unidentified people who supposedly attended a party somewhere, but the date, location, and even the year of the party are unknown. But in the midst of all this uncertainty, the reporters were certain that the bad guy was one Brett Kavanaugh. Oh, and the only person who said he heard such a story was a close friend and lawyer to Bill and Hillary Clinton. But even he had said that he had no knowledge of it being real, just something he heard, but not sure from who. And on that, my friends, virtually every Democrat running for president immediately said Kavanaugh should be impeached. Now, make sure you understand this. Unnamed people without a single eyewitness or as much as one collaborating source decide after 30 years that they think something happened that should force the ouster of a Supreme Court justice, one who had already been through seven FBI background checks and several congressional hearings for placement on district and federal appellate courts. This sloppy, inexcusable, laughable, and recklessly irresponsible reporting from the slimes it was so bad that even reliably left-leaning publications and broadcasters chided the slimes for its unprofessional and dangerously biased story. I mean, even the most liberal member of the Supreme Court, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who was an icon for the left, said Kavanaugh and Justice Neil Gorsuch were smart and decent men. And she even said that the process of confirming justice has become too political and divisive. I think liberals ought to listen to their hero on this one. Now, here's why this matters. This is what masquerades as news these days. And it means that you best not trust what the media says about the issues or the people in the stories. Because the people behind those stories, they're not looking, are hoping to disseminate truth. They are in the business to steer public opinion and elections to their candidates of choice. This truly is an existential threat to our republic. The game is rigged, my friends, and you're going to have to maybe be your own reporter, your own editor, and your own source, and dig out the facts by asking the old basic questions that I got taught in journalism class, but apparently aren't used anymore as a measuring stick by the fake news outlets, which is increasingly pretty much all of them. I mean, the questions I learned in journalism were these, who, what, where, when, and how. And as even Jesus taught us in Matthew 18, 16, take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Who knew that the best journalism teacher ever would end up being Jesus? But he also said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. 
When we no longer operate on truth in this country, we no longer have freedom. And that, my friend, really, really matters. One of the most important departments in Washington is Veteran Affairs. But in recent years, the VA has received some widespread criticism on the care that they've provided to our vets. My next guest has been working very hard to change that. And indications are that he and his team have had a major overhaul of the VA system. Would you please welcome VA Secretary Robert Wilkie. Mr. Secretary, an honor to have you here. I want to get right into the fact that if there's one agency in Washington that is above partisan politics and what should be above all of the political fray, it's the VA. How hard is it to keep it out of Washington politics? Uh, it is hard. Uh, we have, we're a long way uh, from the consensus that existed in this country, you know, after World War II, all the way up through really the, the beginning uh, of Vietnam when it comes to issues that all of us should be united around. But I do agree with you. Uh, VA has turned the corner. Um, this president has made veterans the, the centerpiece, not only first of his campaign, but also of his presidency in a way that no president uh, since the end of the war in 1945 has done. Uh, I've had the, an unprecedented uh, level of support, not only from him, but also uh, to present to the Congress the largest budget in the history of the department. What is the biggest challenge that you face coming into a department that when you came in, uh, was really getting a lot of criticism from both sides sure. of the aisle. My most important job was to calm the institution down, uh, to tell people that I would be there as their advocate, uh, to promote them, but also send a strong message that we are holding people accountable. In this administration, under this president, we've let go 8,600 employees mm -hmm. who are not living up to the standards that we expect. Uh, the other thing that I, I wanted to emphasize, and it is an issue that is incredibly important to you, uh, you've, you, it has been ingrained in you for, for years, and that is the subject of life and the dignity of life, to help save those 20 veterans a day who take their lives. Uh, I'm the head of the President's Task Force. Uh, I have uh, said that if we look at the last tragic act in a veteran's life, we'll be doing a disservice to the veteran of the country. We have to look at mental health. We have to look at homelessness and addiction. And as you know, with my July 4th directive, we also have to look at the spiritual well-being of all of our veterans who come to see us. Uh, one of the things that, that I wanted to tie together, you talked about the 20 veterans a day that commit suicide. But this summer, you did take an unprecedented step that was applauded throughout, certainly, the spiritual community. You have restored the idea that it is okay for VA chaplains to have a Bible. As, as crazy as it may sound that that had to be done, there were VA chaplains who were told they couldn't bring a Bible into the facility, that they couldn't offer spiritual counseling. You have given freedom to the spiritual leaders, regardless of what faith they come with, whether it's Christian, That's Jewish, right. Muslim, uh, Hindu, you allow them to, to be who they are and to bring comfort to the veterans in a manner that those veterans ask for. Coming from a military family, uh, the notion of, of faith, the, the place of the chaplains in military life has been a fundamental foundation for what we do since George Washington. And what was unique about General Washington was not only his creation of the Chaplain's Corps, but his embrace at a time in Western civilization when it was not popular, embrace not only obviously of, of the, the Christian faith that he was, he was a part of, but also to bring in uh, rabbis and to, to reach out to Jewish citizens of the new country. Um, the majority of our servicemen and women uh, identify as Christian or, or Jewish. Um, we cannot f push them aside. And I would argue, I'm not a medical professional, but I do know, do know soldiers, that that spiritual component is just as important as the competence of our doctors and nurses. And um, I will say, I also agree with what Justice Gorchus said in the, in the Maryland Cross case. Just because you feel offended, you don't have a right to sue.
Mm. And as the vice president said, the Bible stays. Well, many of us have cheered your decisions to, uh, to let America be America when it comes to our VA. Uh, one of the things, and I've heard you say this, is that you will do whatever it takes to make sure that you have people who, when they come to work, understand their job, whether it's pushing a broom or pushing a needle in someone's arm to draw blood, they're going to take care and respect that veteran and the mission they have at that place. Obviously, that's important to you. Yes, sir. And, and let me say, we have an organization of 400,000 people, uh, most of them dedicated patriots. They, they could be doing something else, in many cases, making much more money, but they feel that they have the most noble mission in, in the federal government. We will have problems. There will be that rogue doctor or that rogue nurse. Uh, but what the president has allowed me to do, and we just saw it in Atlanta, uh, there was a terrible tragedy where uh, a veteran who was on, on his last days, uh, ants got into his room and people fell down on the job. They did not talk to that veteran's family. Mm. I mm. removed uh, the, the leadership in that region uh, because that is not acceptable. We make sure that the people at the top as well as the people at the bottom in terms of uh, those who work for us are held accountable and held to the highest standards. Our veterans deserve no less. Mr. Secretary, thank you so very, very much for being with us today. Well, Governor, thank you for everything you do too. Thank you. And because of VA Secretary Robert Wilkie, there is an improved website where veterans can now more easily access all kinds of information. They can find out about their benefits, clinic locations. There's a crisis line, much more. You can visit va.gov. That's va.gov. Every veteran ought to know that website and know how to get to it. Keith Bilbrey, why don't you tell everybody about the benefits of sticking around for the rest of our show tonight? Well, coming up next, Washington, D.C.'s dancing star, Sean Spicer. Then Greg Laurie on the faith of Johnny Cash. And Hillary Williams carries on a legacy. Lots more Huckabee is on the way. And welcome back. Now, if you have never been to the incredible land of Israel, you need to join me next March as we walk in the footsteps of Jesus. You're going to see some breathtaking sights. You'll experience the vacation of a lifetime. But you better hurry, though, because you're not the only one who wants to go. If you're interested, go to thegreatesttrip.com to learn more. You do not want to miss this. Well, you know my next guest as the first press secretary to President Donald Trump. He's also the author of The Briefing, Politics, the Press, and the President, in which he described President Trump as a, quote, unicorn riding a unicorn over a rainbow, end quote. But unless you've been living in a cave, you know that his latest assignment is on Dancing with the Stars, season 28. And we're going to find out just how dancing a fun salsa number has created a total media meltdown as well as debate. Would you please welcome from Los Angeles my very good friend Sean Spicer. Sean, so happy to have you on the show. And I got to begin with the first question. What were you thinking? <laughs> you know what? You only live once. Let's have some fun. Enjoy yourself. Do something completely different. My wife and I didn't even finish our first dance at our wedding. So I thought, you know what? This is so out of my comfort zone. Let's just have a blast doing something because you never know what's coming around the corner. Let me ask you, because I've had conversation with Tom DeLay and Rick Perry, both of whom have done this before. They said it was the hardest physical work they've ever done. Uh, they're absolutely right. I mean, you're using muscles that you've never used before. I'm probably down 10 or 15 pounds already uh, because you, you're going, you know, four or five hours a day that you're practicing. It, it's not easy. I mean, it, I don't know what people think it looks like on television, but if you've never done it before, it's strenuous. Uh, you're really stretching in areas, at least that I've never before. Um, and I'm, I'm probably putting a couple buckets of sweat on the dance floor every day we practice. <laughs> Do you get to pick the dance routine? Or the wardrobe, or does somebody else make those decisions? 
I might not have the best fashion sense, but I, I certainly know that lime green <laughs> ruffled rayon shirts wouldn't look good on me. So anyone who's wondering, no, I had no choice on that one. Uh, I have become much more attuned to what I will be wearing in subsequent <laughs> weeks, though. <laughs> but you know, one of the things that I love about your whole uh, experience there, you've already made this a great point to do something incredibly unselfish for a group you have been working for for a long time and you are yourself a veteran, you're auctioning off that green shirt and, who, uh, and, and the money will go to veteran causes. So, I mean, how can a person sign up to bid on your shirt? Yeah. If you go to SpicerArnold.com, it teaches you how to vote for us, but also there's a link there where you can bid on it. There's two organizations that I'm on the board of directors of. One's the Yellow Ribbon Fund that cares for our injured service members, and the other one's the Independence Fund that provides track chairs uh, for those people who have either lost one or two legs. And, and you've been kind enough to have one of them on your show before. Yeah. And I, So what I wanted to do is take this experience and, and make sure that we did something that was positive, that benefited those who have so honorably served our nation. Well, and that's what I love about what you're doing. You're having a good time, but you're actually using it for something beyond yourself. Now, let's talk about how people can help you because, man, I want you to go the distance. How can people vote for Sean Spicer on Dancing with the Stars? Well, look, I'm running this like a campaign governor. 50% of the vote comes from the judges and 50% from the people. So I've set up a website, SpicerArnold.com. I'm treating this just like, and you know what it's like to campaign. Oh, yeah. So I got T-shirts, <laughs> buttons, hats, the whole deal. If you go to SpicerArnold.com, you can sign up. But Monday night, only between 8 and 10 p.m. Eastern time or 7 to 9 Central, can you actually have your vote counted? You can text up to 10 times. It's like Chicago-style voting. 21523. Yeah. <laughs> you have to text the word Sean, or you can go to abc.com, and there's a link right up the top that says Dancing with the Stars Vote. You can vote actually 20 times, Text 10 on text and 10 online for a combined 20. So if you need a new phone, go get another one. You can vote 20, but I'm not, you know... <laughs> Everyone can go out there, but it has to, it must occur between 10, 8 and 10 p.m. Eastern time while the show's airing. And for those people in Nashville and people in the central time zone, it's between 7 and 9. But after, before that or after that, nothing counts. Hey, before I let you go, you even got talked about on The View the other day. Uh, they must have thought your performance was worth discussing. I mean, are you surprised by all of the attention? Because nobody on the show is getting anywhere near. You're getting like 90% of the rest of them and dividing it the rest of the 10%. The degree to which people took it so seriously and viciously was a little bit of a shock because it's not like this is consequential. No one's trying to be a professional dancer or do anything more than enjoy themselves and entertain the viewers. So, yeah, I was a little shocked at how over the top some of the folks on one particular network were. Um, and and I, even on The View, it was amazing how they, they the, the nature in which they discussed it. But look, right now I need people's votes. So I need them out discussing it. And then more importantly, voting for us and texting and clicking on Monday night between eight and 10. You're giving us a lot of reasons to have some fun and for that we are all grateful sean thank you very much now friends be sure to watch sean trip the light fantastic on dancing with the stars monday at 8 p.m eastern on abc and let's come on folks let's cast votes for him during the show texting sean to 21523 21523 that's text sean to 21523 don't let Joe Biden in on it. He'll mess up what he's supposed to do. Now, I know you're going to enjoy his next original dance interpretation. By the way, you can also find out a lot more about Sean's non-dancing life. Go to SeanSpicer.com and follow him on Twitter at Sean Spicer. Okay, Keith Bilbrey, I know that you can cut a rug yourself with the lovely Emmy Joe Bilbrey. So tell us about how you're going to be dancing to the break with our upcoming guest lineup tonight. Oh, yes, but she's not here, so I'll have to dance by myself. Next, Hux hero Beth Scruggs, then political pundit Dr. Christopher Metzler. And from the legendary Hank Williams family, country's Hillary Williams performs right here on Huckabee. This week, I joined Franklin Graham and Samaritan's Purse for a gathering of their medical missions teams. I was absolutely blown away by the dedication of these doctors and nurses, healthcare professionals, as well as volunteers. They go into some of the most dangerous places on earth. They face the Ebola virus, wars, ISIS, spiders. 
as well as disease and catastrophe, and they do it all in Jesus' name to provide world-class acute medical care to people who are often helpless and hopeless. I personally give often to Samaritan's Purse when there is some kind of disaster or flood or hurricane. But now, I gotta be honest with you, I'm more aware of the things this amazing organization does all over the world every single day. I hope that you will give generously by calling the number on your screen or going to SamaritansPurse.org. Well, there are not many community outlets where the people with special needs can exercise as well as have some fun with friends. Tonight's Huck's Hero has found a way to provide that outlet through the sport of swimming. program for children and adults with special needs. Drowning is the number one cause of accidental death in children with autism. But the only way to prevent drowning is to know how to swim. Well, swim lessons are really expensive and they're really hard to find. There's just not that many instructors who will take on individuals with special needs. It's been a godsend to have an activity that she can participate in and feel like a normal child. that they are offering that to us for free at no charge, um, you know, on behalf of donors is amazing. Yeah, Beth is someone I really look up to. She started this because she saw a need in the community and now we're serving, you know, over 200 children and adults every week through our programs. Our waiting list has over 200 kids. Because the fun experience for anyone, for like toddlers, for adults, just welcome to know them and help them to swim better in life. We don't see why programs like this couldn't happen in other cities and in other states. She is the founder of the Nashville Dolphins and she is tonight's Huck's hero. Would you please welcome Beth Scruggs? Thank you, Beth. Delighted to have you here. Oh, I'm honored to be here. Thank you. How did you start the Nashville Dolphins? Um, my children were getting older. They were in high school, and um, I was asked to volunteer with Special Olympics and run their state meet. And through that, I met some swimmers, and I had one ask me if I would help her in the water. She could swim, but she couldn't quite make it to the end of the pool. And she had some friends, and then they had some friends, and it just grew from there. How many kids are in the program at any given time? Right now, um, we have 220 children in our program. Whoa. hundred. That's a lot of kids. A <laughs> um, hundred and fifteen of those kids are in our Learn to Swim program. So one-on-one, -on -one, they are matched with a volunteer or two. Uh, with lead instructors in the water, training the volunteers. I think we use around 100 volunteers a week. Uh, You've got to recruit a lot of volunteers to help you we with do. the Dolphins program. We do. Um, we are lucky that we get a lot of volunteers from Vanderbilt University and other colleges and high schools around. Um, we train our volunteers, so you do not have to be an expert swimmer to work with us. We will, we will teach you. And this and it's is fun. free to these kids and their families, right? It's completely free. Um, we don't charge anything. Um, so I have gone from being a swim instructor to a fundraiser, <laughs> but that's part of it. Um, we, we enjoy it. It's fun. Now, one of the things I know that you would love to have for the Nashville Dolphins would be your own pool, because you have to borrow, rent, find, and we do. ask permission, can we use the pool? So that's gotta be a challenge all the time. It is a challenge. We last year used seven different pools for our programs um, and always are looking for new pool space that we can use. That's good pool space, warm and quiet and... So hopefully watching us tonight is some potential, potential donor yes. who says, you know what? These special need kids, they deserve their own pool and they call you up 
and they say they're gonna pay for it. Wouldn't that be pretty cool? That would be pretty cool. Yeah, I bet you would, you would even name the pool after them yeah. if they did that. <laughs> we would name the pool after them. We have uh, 275 children on our waiting list. Wow. And basically pool space is what keeps us from being able to take more. Why is this such an effective way to help kids with special needs? Well, first of all, every child needs to know how to swim. Yeah. Um, it's the only way to prevent drowning is to know how to swim. And uh, with autism, it's the number one cause of accidental death mm. in children. Um, but as they grow older, it just, it's a, it's a uh, exercise they can do without strain on their joints. Uh, anyone can swim. And we don't have an age out policy because we want them to continue swimming through their whole lives. On top of swimming, we do a lot of parties. We take a team trip every year to a Special Olympics meet out of town so they can feel that whole experience of being part of a team and riding on a bus and staying in a hotel. And um, it's a sense of community. You know, I gotta tell you, Beth, these may be children with special needs, but you're a very special person to see the need and meet it. Oh, and you, you deserve to be our Huck's hero. Thank you and God bless you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate mm. it. Well, to find out more about the Nashville Dolphins or to see how you can help serve and support their mission, you can visit NashvilleDolphins.org. Or you can maybe build them a pool. That'd be great. Hey, Keith, this show just keeps swimming along, so why don't you tell us what we have coming around the riverbend? Well, next, Greg Laurie on the faith of Johnny Cash, political expert Dr. Christopher Metzler, and country singer Hillary Williams. More Huckabee after the break. And welcome back to the show. You know my next guest from his TBN series and radio show, or his senior pastor of the world-renowned Harvest Christian Fellowship. Maybe as the author of 70, that's right, 70 books. The latest book he's got is absolutely fantastic. It's called Johnny Cash, The Redemption of the American Icon. It is a true pleasure to welcome Pastor Greg Laurie. Pastor, I'm so delighted to have you here, and I can't wait to talk about the Johnny Cash book before we get into that, your congregation experienced one of the greatest griefs uh, th that I've heard in a long time. An associate pastor, uh, just a little over a week ago, took his own life, and, and that has made national headlines. But on a personal level, it must have been one of the most difficult experiences that you've had to endure as a pastor and as a friend to this yes, young man. Yes, Governor, it really has been. It came as a shock to us, and this young man's name is Jared Wilson. And uh, he had been struggling with mental illness from his younger days, but was on medication. He was seeing a doctor and, and was doing so well that he wanted to help other young people who are facing thoughts of depression and suicidal thoughts and such. And, and I don't know what happened exactly in that night, but something, I think just kind of a mental breakdown of some kind. And so tragically, he uh, took his own life. And, and it's very hard for us, Governor, because... You know, our church is, it's our family and our staff mm. is family. So the only thing I could compare this to is when our son uh, died 11 years ago. This is the closest thing I'd say to it because it was like a member of our family died. But, but you know, I believe, despite the tragedy of all of this, that one dark moment in the life of a person will not undo what Christ did for us on mm. the cross. Well, Pastor, our condolences to Jared's family, to the entire congregation out there. Thank you. And it's a really Thank perfect you. segue to talk about the life of Johnny Cash, that you've written this uh, yeah. incredible book about his journey and particularly his faith. Johnny Cash lived here in Hendersonville, Tennessee, very, very close to this yes, theater did. where we do our show. What made you interested in writing a book about Johnny Cash? 
Well, I just always was a fan of Johnny Cash, you know, and I grew up really appreciating him. And after I became a Christian in 1970 during the Jesus Movement, and I know you were impacted that time Absolutely. Uh, in your life as well, I saw Johnny, I wasn't there, but I heard Johnny Cash singing at Explo. And I was there. There in <laughs> Dallas, and Johnny Cash is a Christian. And of course, the other thing we can't forget is Johnny made many appearances at Billy Graham Crusades at the height of his popularity. And in fact, Johnny and Billy were good friends. You know, here's the contradiction of Cash. Who could be friends with Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, and Billy Graham all at the same time? <laughs> Answer, Johnny Cash. What did you discover about Johnny Cash that was most surprising? <laughs> well, you know, interesting about Johnny Cash. Sinners thought he was a saint, and saints thought he was a sinner. But whenever he would get into trouble, and Johnny got into a lot of trouble, he was arrested on multiple occasions, though he never served time in prison. People think he was a prisoner because he sang in prisons, but he did serve jail time. Here's what I discovered. I did not know the depths of his struggle uh, with amphetamines and in other substances, but I also learned a lot more about the depth of his faith. You know, Johnny had the devil at his back and an angel on his shoulder and God on speed dial. <laughs> and, and he was a man who I would describe as an accessible saint, meaning this, Johnny was a Christian, there's no doubt about that, but he had his ups and downs, his highs and lows, but even when he went astray, he always returned to that bedrock faith that he had going back to the days of picking cotton on the fields there in Arkansas. And so he became a legend, a global legend, uh, really. He is described as the voice of America, the godfather of cool. <laughs> Chris Christopherson described Johnny Cash as Abraham Lincoln with a wild side. So he, he was a contradiction at times, but when it was all said and done, he had a deep faith he always returned to. And I would say that at the beginning of his career, he started off really strong musically, and he ended really strong musically. And the same could be true said of his spiritual life. He started and ended very strong in his faith. Isn't it great? Because it's all how we end that matters the most. But I think what you've just described is not just Johnny Cash, but Pastor Laurie, that is the life of many of a believer. It's not always easy no. to walk the life of faith in this world. No. And with all the pressures on him, I think we could understand. It's why I think your book is such a gift to the world, because you describe a person who loves God, who is trying to follow Christ, but often finds himself falling off the trail, tumbling down uh, into every kind of ditch imaginable, but at least getting back up and yeah, finding his way. That's true, Governor. And I would say that the, the real takeaway message of this book is God gives second chances. Mm. So if you've messed up, you can get back in the race. Like you said, it's really when it's all said and done, how you finish the race. I mean, if you're running a 10 lap race and you're running first place for nine of the laps and you walk off the truck on the 10th lap, you lose. Johnny finished well. He had an incredible resurgence of his career when a producer named Rick Ribbon, who had produced a lot of rock acts, went and kind of got Johnny back to his roots and recorded him in his front room with just Johnny and that guitar. Nobody had the voice of Johnny Cash, even the way he played guitar. And I think some of the best songs he ever recorded in his career, including The Man Comes Around, uh, Rusty Cage, and songs he did that other people had written, like I Won't Back Down, and uh, even Personal Jesus, a song that he repurposed. He made them his own, and of course, he was best known for his song, Hurt, which was written by a guy named Trent Reznor. But Johnny sort of made it a biographical song as his life was coming to a close. But in a final interview that he did with Kurt Loder of MTV News, uh, this was after his wife June had preceded him to heaven, Kurt asked him, you know, do you have a lapse in your faith? He says, my faith is unshakable. And he was very strong in the end and actually looked forward to going to be with the Lord and being reunited with his wife. So, you know, what a wonderful story it was and what an adventure it was to discover so much about a true American icon. The book is called Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon. You can get it at Amazon, you can get it at other booksellers, or you can find it along with Greg Laurie's other great books, his inspirational messages, and so much more at harvest.org. Also, you can connect with Pastor Laurie on Facebook at harvest.gregloury and on Twitter at Greg Laurie. By the way, speaking of icons, and by the way, I want you to get this book because you're going to love it. If you're a Johnny Cash fan, you'll have to have it. If you're not, you will be after you read this book. Uh, yeah. but. 
as I say, speaking of icons, we've got our very own Nashville icon, Keith Bilbrey, longtime voice of the Grand Ole Opry and WSM Radio, and he is standing by to tell you what's coming up after the break. So, Keith, take it away. Well, I will. Coming up, Dr. Christopher Metzler on the great political divide in America and country music's Hillary Williams performs on Huckabee. Welcome back. Big hand for Trey Corley in the Music City Connection over there. Now. Well, from driving with chopsticks 10% over the speed limit to emotional support clowns, we've got the news stories that'll have you traumatized and shouting, kill it, on In Case You Missed It. Now, when you think of Canada and fast food, what does your mind turn to? Maybe Tim Horton's Boston Pizza. Well, in British Columbia, fast food equals a driver eating with chopsticks and a bowl of food while sailing down the highway. A Royal Canadian Mounted Police officer spotted the woman driving down the highway, traveling nearly 40 miles an hour in traffic, eating with chopsticks in one hand and a bowl of spinach in the other. No hands on the steering wheel. Needless to say, the officer ticketed one Ms. Corrine Jackson for this conduct. And when her day in court arrived, the accused said she was taking care and attention behind the wheel because she was no more than 10% over the speed limit. And she had three fingers of her left hand on the steering wheel while holding her bowl with a thumb and a forefinger. Provincial Judge Brian Burgess rejected Jackson's testimony and found her guilty of driving without due care and attention. The penalty? Get this, 2,000 bucks in fines and six points on a driver's license. Uh, Governor? Who? Yeah, Keith. I was just wondering, do you think they might have gone lighter on her if she'd driven a car favored by cooks? I, I, I'm not sure, Keith. I mean, what, what kind of a car does a cook drive? A chef brolet. <laughs> Keith, I feel sometimes like a Canadian judge and I need to fine you for that. <laughs> and by the way, folks, Ms. Jackson has until October to pay the $2,000 fine. Well, all of us on the show have become a fan of David Rush, who is the Guinness World Record Breaker extraordinary. He's got over 100 records already set, and he's done it again. This time, by standing atop an inflatable exercise ball while slicing 62 kiwi fruits with a sword in less than a minute. I mean, David Rush has a purpose for breaking all these records. He really does. It is to promote STEM education. And STEM, of course, stands for science, technology, engineering, and math. And the Samurai Kiwi Fitness Ball Slicing? Rush handily surpassed the old record. Yeah, there really was one. The old record was 35 sliced kiwis. Now, let's be honest. When someone first gave you a kiwi, didn't you just think, Hey, it's a little potato with fur. <laughs> Dateline, Auckland, New Zealand. New Zealand. Ad agency employee Joshua Jack received an email inviting him to a meeting where his future with the company would be discussed. He was told he could bring a support person. So what did Joshua do? He did what any employee getting ready to be downsized would do. He brought a clown with him. Yeah, Jack wrote on his Facebook page that he sensed bad news was coming, so he hired the best support person available, a professional clown. He shared pictures online from the meeting with the clown making balloon animals and providing comfort as the ad agency leadership said he was being let go. Governor. Yes, sir, I, I, Keith. I hate to interrupt you again. No, you don't. You love it. Go ahead. Well, I do, actually. <laughs> but I just wanted you to know I feel this guy's pain. Do you? And I brought my emotional support clown with me tonight. Right there he is. Which one is the clown? <laughs> Keith, why on earth would you need an, an emotional support clown? Well, you know, the way the people respond to my jokes, I need a little encouragement, which reminds me. When I was single, you know, girls always used to say they wanted a guy who was funny and spontaneous, but 
Every time I tapped on their window at night dressed as a clown, they'd call the cops. Yeah. I wonder why. Yeah. Hey, hey, Keith, do you know why sharks don't eat clowns? I'm afraid to ask. Because they taste funny. Oh, give me that. That sounds like one of yours. All right, the best news in this story, Joshua Jack had struck first. He already had a new job in the ad business at a competing agency. Yeah. And finally, in college football news, a young man trying to be funny held up a sign asking for beer money on an ESPN broadcast and is now $20,000 richer. Carson King held up a sign asking for Bush Light replenishment funds with his Venmo account information on it, hoping that friends would see him in the crowd shot during a college game day broadcast at Iowa State University. Uh, Gov, wait a second. I yeah. hope you don't mind, but... Uh... <laughs> No, seriously, everybody, this is a serious issue. Our candy bowl in the, you know, band room is really completely empty. And I thought it would, you know, steal the sign I did to help the Music City Connection out, you know, get some energy. So, uh, you know, a little Venmo action. Hey, Trey, I, I honestly think you and your sweet tooth need to consider the rest of the story here, okay? Because when King realized that he could do more with the money than buy a case of beer... He began fundraising for the University of Iowa Stead Family Children's Hospital in Iowa City. Then Anheuser-Busch and Venmo have both said they will match Mr. King's $20,000 in honor of his generosity. So no matter who won the college football game, kids at the Children's Hospital in Iowa City were the big winners last week. So how about that? You still want the candy. Okay. <laughs> well, like Beto O'Rourke's presidential campaign, we've run out of time. I said, like Beto O'Rourke's presidential campaign, we've run out of time. But never forget, we read the news. My next guest is an Oxford-educated government strategist, legal scholar, political analyst. You've seen him on CNN. Well, if you watch that channel, but maybe you don't. But you've seen him on Fox News and even MSNBC, just to name a few. He's authored a new book. It's a great book. It's called Divided We Stand, The Search for America's Soul. Please welcome back to the show, Dr. Christopher Metzler. Good Dr. Messler, great having you back. My pleasure. We loved you before. That's why you're back. <laughs> Thank you. Let's talk about political correctness. You describe it as a stain on America's soul. What do you mean? Yeah, it absolutely is a stain on America's soul because, in fact, what we do, and this is perpetuated in large part by the mainstream media, you have to know what to call people. So is this person an African-American, or are they black, or are they a Negro? What, that, look, <laughs> start with their name. Why don't we start there? And that's a large part of the problem. Also, I think with the mainstream media and with the left, who, by the way, has completely lost their minds if they ever had one. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> there is all of this discussion of what we are supposed to be, uh, and that's absolutely ridiculous. You've got enough degrees to have a fever every day you wake up. <laughs> but one of the things that I find remarkable about you, you look at the world not from an academic standpoint, but a practical standpoint. Why are you different than the rest of the academics who are living in la-la land? I have taught both at Cornell and at Georgetown. Here's the issue. First of all, you have these very left-leaning professors. You have these folks who believe that it is so because they say it's so. And you have these folks who basically say, listen, this is what you should think. This is how you should grow up. Well, that's the reason America is so divided right now, because of this leftist ideology that is the foundation of a number of these Ivy League schools. Enough. You have great schools like Liberty. You, you have a number of schools where people don't even consider them to be up to par. Guess what? We consider them to be up to par. As we're looking toward the 2020 election cycle, I mean, I'd love to see people start focusing on problem solving rather than just yelling at each other. Yeah. Is there any hope that we can get to that place where we would see a government and a political structure where people would actually talk to each other, not about each other, 
and solve problems. Yeah, I think there is, and I think the president has started uh, that now I, after this ridiculous three-year-long $30 million taxpayer investigation. And I think the conversation there is let's talk about solutions. Look, at the end of the day, we care about issues. We don't care about personalities. We don't care about this nonsense. Am I working? Am I doing well? What about the future of my children? That's the kind of stuff that people care about. And I think this president is the only one who can move that agenda forward. One of the things that he was able to do in a bipartisan way was the First Step Act. Yes. And I helped work on that Fantastic. because I'm very passionate about that. That was a great example of, of a solution. Yeah, that's a solution because, in fact, what he did was look at all these people who've been incarcerated and then he realized, okay, second chance. We yeah. believe in that in America. So that is a solution. We have to look at solutions rather than just rhetoric, and he's excellent at doing that. Dr. Christopher Meltzer, thank you so much. My We're pleasure. always thrilled to have you here. Thank you. Hey, Governor. Keith, why don't you tell our viewers how they can get their own copy of this wonderful book? Well, you can find Divided We Stand, The Search for America's Soul on Amazon and other fine booksellers, and on his website, drchristophermetzler.com. Well, up next, the inspiring story and song of Hillary Williams. Don't go away. Be sure to go to MikeHuckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter. And follow at GovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. Well, my next guest is a singer and songwriter with, uh, I'd say, music kind of running through her bloodline. She happens to be the daughter of one of my favorite country music stars, Hank Williams Jr. And of course, that makes her the granddaughter of the legendary Hank Williams Sr. Her latest recording, My Lucky Scars, has taken a decade to write as well as to record. It chron chronicles her recovery from a horrific car accident, which led to 30 surgeries, learning to walk again, and briefly dying twice. I'm so glad she is alive tonight to tell us all about it. Would you please welcome Hillary Williams? Hillary, great to have you here. Thank you for having me. I mean, what you went through after the car wreck, and that's been what, 15 years ago or 13 something? Years 13 ago. years ago. 13 years ago. Did you think you were ever going to stand on a stage and sing again? I wasn't sure, but I just kept keeping that picture in my mind that I was going to sing and be on stage and just meditated on that. Wow. Did you feel pressure growing up that you had to be a country singer and songwriter? I mean, with a dad who I just think is one of the greatest singer-songwriters, as well as a grandfather. I mean, was it like, okay, the pressure's there, I gotta do this? No, I didn't feel pressure. My, my parents didn't pressure me or the rest of us, um, but I just love singing and God gave me this gift and I wanna use it. Well, he definitely gave you a gift. Honey, you've got some pipes, I'm telling <laughs> Thank you. Thank uh, You know, I, I guess I would have been shocked if you didn't have some of that amazing Williams in you, but mm -hmm. you do. And when I heard you in rehearsal, I thought, oh my goodness, this is fantastic. The album, My Lucky Scars, I, I, I thought that was so powerful, having gone through the accident and all of the surgeries. You really know something about some scars. I just yes. don't know that many people would say, my lucky scars. Yeah. So where does that come from? Well, scars are God's saving saving grace and um you know they're like tattoos for me and with my scars i'm able to breathe and be alive and so i'm really grateful to have them what do your parents say about your musical career do they uh are they excited or happy that you've done oh yeah okay they're very excited very happy my dad says hillary has the pipes in the family and she got it for me and so they're very supportive well that's good because if they weren't i mean it'd be kind of <laughs> rough wouldn't it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well I'd love for us to maybe do a little uh, music together. Would that be okay? Yeah, that'd be great. And I want you to tell your dad hello, because tell him one of his biggest fans is proud of his daughter as I well. Will. By the way, Hillary and I are going to get ready and perform a song from her new album, My Lucky Scars. I hope you'll get the album. And Keith is going to tell you just exactly how you can do it. To get your copy of My Lucky Scars, just go to hillarywilliams.me. That's hillarywilliams.me. M -E. Don't miss Hillary's performance of Hank Williams' classic song, I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry, after the show on Huckabee.tv. Now, here to perform is Hillary Williams. <laughs> 